There's a solitary, humble, wooden structure on a windswept hill in rural New England. To open the door is to engage our minds, our hearts, and our imaginations. In this place, preachers and professors, past and present, come alive as they walk the aisle, ascend the pulpit stairs, and teach. From theology, from history, and from the Word of God, welcome to the Saybrook Meeting House, an audio production of Saybrook Ministries. Advice to a young Christian on the importance of aiming at an elevated standard of piety by a village pastor. Letter number one, forming an elevated Christian character. Dear young friend, you are very young to profess the high character of a Christian, but your youth, while it serves as a caution, should not operate as a discouragement. Many a person of fewer years and with less advantages has not only given satisfactory evidence of conversion, but proved in subsequent life to be of that number whose path shineth more and more unto the perfect day. It becomes you, however, to look narrowly into the evidences of such a change. A mistake here will prove fatal. The word of God and prayer are the great means which, if faithfully applied, will in due time develop your true moral character. If you have been deceived, if yet in your sins, these duties will before long become irksome and be loosely performed or utterly neglected. If you have been regenerated, you will not only persevere in these duties, but will find that they elicit more and more of your interest until you arrive at a well-grounded hope of eternal felicity. Taking for granted that you do not make this profession on slight grounds, nor with inadequate or erroneous views, my object in a few letters which I shall address to you will be to urge you to the formation of an elevated Christian character. You profess to have taken the first step in the straight and narrow way, but recollect, it is only the first step. The concentrated gaze of many eyes is upon you. Some would exult in your downfall. Others rejoice in your advancement. Invisible and wicked spirits will tempt you to ruin. Good and guardian angels will watch around your steps and rejoice in your victories. To sustain yourself, you have already been convinced, is impossible. If you are regenerated, you are not perfectly sanctified. Nor will you be until death shall be swallowed up in victory. But as Paul could do all things by the strength of his master, so can the weakest believer. And you must ever feel that the same grace which brought you out of nature's darkness must enable you to overcome your enemies and persevere unto the end. As I have touched upon this point, I am forcibly reminded of the beautiful dream 
of the Reverend John Newton. While lying at anchor in the harbor of Venice and within sight of a part of the Alps. For the particulars, I refer you to his volumes. The substance is as follows. The anxiety of mind which he endured in his waking hours seemed to give a coloring to his night vision. He felt himself in great perplexity and horror. While musing on the wretchedness of his condition, there appeared suddenly a celestial figure who presented to him a ring, which, she said, if preserved with care, would, on every difficult occasion, resolve his doubts and extricate him from trouble. He was overjoyed at the reception of it. All his fears seemed to subside and a heavenly serenity to succeed. While in this tranquil and happy frame of mind, another personage of less inviting aspect made his appearance and, after many flattering words and artful insinuations, prevailed on him to part with the ring. He deliberately dropped it over the side of the vessel and it sunk to the bottom. The flames, in an awful manner, immediately burst from the mountain and he seemed threatened with instant destruction. At this moment of horror, his celestial friend again appeared and, with a frown of mingled love and reproof, upbraided him for listening to the voice of the tempter. She then descended into the water and soon returned bearing the ring and thus addressed him. As thou art unable to keep this token, I will preserve it for thee and it shall be secure forever. I have only given you from memory an outline of this beautiful vision. The interpretation which the author put upon it is full of spiritual instruction. If left for one moment to our own strength, how soon do we abandon the ring, even at the first suggestion of the tempter? Then the soul is affrighted and dismayed. But Jesus, our guardian, is able to restore the ring. And lest we should lose it, he, in condescension to our infirmities, deigns to keep it. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, is his language. Thus, my dear young friend, entrust the ring to him who alone is able to preserve it. When the tempter comes, whether in the artful guise of what the world calls innocent pleasure or the bold assaults of blasphemy and despair, look upwards to him who is charged with the care of all that is precious to the soul. Wait not until you are overwhelmed by the consciousness of contracted guilt, but flee, flee as for your life to Jesus. You cannot trust him too confidently. He will permit you to sit even at his feet. There is honor, there is safety, there is happiness. I congratulate you on the favorable circumstances in which you are placed for the formation of Christian character. The work of divine grace in which you profess to be a participant is, I understand, still in progress.
Doubtless you will find some congenial spirits with whom you can mingle feelings, unite in mutual prayer, and converse on the sweetest of all topics, the love of your Lord and Master. Let it be a principle with you to select as your companions the most heavenly-minded of your sex. If such can be found in the higher walks of life, very well. Be they your bosom friends. But, alas, how seldom in the higher circles does religion, in its native simplicity and purity, appear. You must seek it, I apprehend, in the low veil of obscurity, and often amid the homely attire of honest poverty. If you have the Spirit of Christ, you will love his image, though arrayed in a humble garb. I know it has ever been the design of your parents to make you estimate character not by riches nor fashionable appearance, but by intrinsic moral worth. And I am persuaded that you must now feel that if providence has given you advantages of wealth and education above the plainest rustic, it is a ground of humility inasmuch as it lays you under the greater obligations. Where much is given, never forget it, much will be required. On this principle, are you not bound to be humble, benevolent, condescending? In closing this letter, I must say to you, as I lately said to a youth in my congregation, who is about making a public profession of her faith in Christ, I hope you will not be satisfied with being half a Christian. So, my young friend, I would exhort you to aim high. It is a day to elevate the standard of piety. We need more Newells and Huntingtons and Ramses and Smelts. These were devoted souls. It was not a halfway work with them. Religion was all in all. For this they lived, they suffered, and supported by its consolations, they died. They have left a bright track for you to follow. Tread closely in their steps. And then, though you share in their sufferings, you shall also inherit with them the crown of glory. Thank you for joining us this week at the Saybrook Meeting House. We hope you've been blessed by today's podcast. Saybrook Ministries' mission is to provide didactic and devotional content from the Christian faith delivered to the saints, recovered and refined by the Protestant Reformation. Be sure to visit saybrookministries.org for continually updated Christian content designed to inspire and invigorate our imagination and intellect. Join us next week for another journey to the Saybrook Meeting House. Until then, may God bless you.